So in one of the podcasts, somebody asked me, how can I get rid of the imprint of a partner that I'm no longer with and I'm still yearning for that person and uh, you know I can't move on and I, I can't find a new partner and in general I don't want to have the imprint of someone on me. And so in that podcast I uh, explain how that's done and I refer to the fact that you can essentially imprint or reshape an imprint. Right, re-imprint re or reshape an imprint. And that's what she's asking about. And she's saying she's tried it, but when she does that, then the image of her ex-partner, who I assume you want to get rid of in your imprint, um, comes up and then she stops and then that's it. So the background to that entire conversation is that um, as women, because we open our bodies, physically open our bodies, so once we start having sex with someone and there's actual penetration of some sort, um, essentially our, um, well, however you want to call it, our magnetic field at the least is being penetrated. And of course our body is being penetrated. And that has a very specific um, psychosexual impact and the psychosexual impact is one of opening to right, that person and that person gives an imprint. They have now researched that actually um, we have a bit of DNA of anyone who's ever ejaculated inside of us in our bodies, right? Which is kind of a scary thought, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe not for you, but for me in my 20s. So, yeah, that, and that's, that, that's been researched now. So that's an actual piece of DNA, right? And then we're talking about the psycho-emotional impact of, the, of certain people we've combined ourselves with. Um, some people are more sensitive to that than others, um, but usually the person who had the deepest imprint in us is the person that we orient to sexually, even if they're gone. And this is, by the way, one of the reasons why a lot of women, they don't just break up with a man, they break up with a man by going with another man or having a thing with another man. And that kind of reshapes the imprint so we can move on. That's a fairly common thing to happen. And so um, if we assume that the person who's so to speak, penetrated us deeply, the deepest, and that's not necessarily physically, but just emotionally, impact-wise, is our biggest imprint, then you can kind of imagine that when they leave or when you leave them, you have an imprint in the shape, in the psychosexual shape of that person. And that can be uh, in the mild form, pretty annoying, in the really bad form, pretty debilitating, because you can't move on, you're constantly feeling that person again, you yearn for that person, you're heartbroken, all of those kind of things. So that's the background behind what you're asking. And so one of the ways to deal with that is to reshape the imprint. And like I said, a lot of women reshape the imprint by finding somebody else who leaves a deeper imprint or a different shape imprint that, that 
rounds that imprint out. But then the problem, of course, is what happens when that person goes. And also, um, it's not always the best idea to be that oriented to another human because they, you know, they have shortcomings, as do we. So one of the things you can do if you want to is um, orient your sexual practice if you have such a thing or if you want to uh, remove an imprint then you will have to have a sexual practice towards um, you called it a higher being so whatever you want to call it the universe universal love God um, of any kind right anything that's bigger than a human so you could imprint towards nature you could imprint within the chosen iconography of whatever you know belief system you have. And when you do that, then that removes kind of the human imprint and you're not as dependent on a human for that yearning because that yearning that we have is ultimately not towards the human part of a human, but the divine part of a human, so to speak. And so how that's done, and this is now specific to you, um, when the image of your boyfriend shows or ex-partner shows up, you have to replace that image with an image of choice. And you have to train your body to orient towards that image, right? And that takes time and it's also not that easy because that's what the imprint is, it pops up. So what you would do is you would have some kind of pleasure practice could be sexual or sensual and during the pleasure practice you essentially turn that practice towards your chosen new imprint and when the ex-partner pops up you turn back to that and you you kind of go back and forth till you can reliably um, open to something bigger than the ex-partner right. so that's how you would do it and you would do it actively with either a sexual or sensual practice, meaning you could massage your body, you could also do actual sexual, you know, self-pleasure practice, or you could also do it in kind of a more ecstatic movement situation like nonlinear or dancing, where you um, turn your entire body, so to speak, towards that imprint. One of the ways that we can look at energetics in a human body, and this is both true for men and women, but it's particularly important for women because of the way we are built. So we are built for energy in the lower body. And the reason we are built for energy in the lower body is of course because ovulation, um, pregnancy, uh, childbirth, and essentially all the power functions within pleasure, right, happen in the lower body. And so when you look at the layers of pelvic floor and when you look at the way the body is organized, there's a, there is a lot of energy and also a lot of blood flow and a lot of activity in the lower part of the body. And so the lower your um, center is, so to speak, your orientation, the more grounded and settled and, you know, kind of planted on the ground you are. The higher up you go, of course, the more you are prone to kind of tilting over, so to speak. And um, so a low center of gravity or a low energetic center of gravity 
helps a lot with staying calm and grounded and connected to the body and connected to the earth, right? So when trauma happens, um, fresh trauma, or you get re-triggered on, uh, on established trauma, what the body does is it pulls up and away from the ground. And particularly, the body pulls up and away from the base of the body. And so a lot of people, and particularly a lot of women, because but for us that mechanism is a lot stronger because there is more energy down there, is people pull up their pelvic floor, their perineum, tighten their genitals, um, tighten, you know, essentially the buttocks, and everything gets tight. And over time, that then wears out the pelvic floor. And you can do all the kegels in the world, it's not going to make a difference when your pelvic floor is actually that pulled up because you have muscle fatigue. And you can't combat muscle fatigue with doing more muscular exercises. So when people have a worn out pelvic floor, the kegels won't do any good. You have to do squats, actually. This is a side note. but like proper squatting because that strengthens a layer of muscle that's not as habitually weakened. Now this is not, uh, this is not to be confused with people who have a weak pelvic floor from let's say childbirth. I'm talking about the continuous stress response of pulling up. Now that can combine with other things. But so the bringing the energy down and relaxing the base of the body and doing things that relax the base of the body doesn't only help with, like you said, trauma and centering, but it also helps with pleasure and with power and with intuition, which all sit down here. And so placing your feet firmly is important. And sometimes you see people who had trauma, they almost walk on their tippy toes. Um, and that's a, you know, an extreme pulling up. But also doing things like hip circles, squats, lower body movement, and then as you're sitting, for instance, uh, seeing if you can relax enough so that your perineum drops a bit and your buttocks and, and the layers of muscle in the pelvic floor can drop. That really helps with bringing the energy down. Because of course, when you sit all day on a computer or you know, on the phone or things like that, the energy naturally goes up because it's needed here for thinking versus here for being and flowing. So the more you tend to go upwards, the more you need to counteract it. So that's the long answer to a short question. <laughs> Okay, so she was saying that um, I, she heard me say before that uh, childhood imprints, how we experience uh, love as a child influences how we seek love as adults, right? I'm sure you've heard this before, but in case you haven't, one of the things that we always have to keep in mind when working with people is that um, when you are first uh, growing up and when you individuate or in the course of individuation, and growing up, um, how love is given to you is how you um, perceive love. So let's just say you only get attention from your father when he's mad at you, right? Then that's not optimal imprinting of love by any means, but that's how you perceive love. Oh, you did something wrong. Oh, now there is anger. Oh, suddenly all the attention is on you. 
So then, of course, as we grow up, we don't want that. But somehow, often, people end up with people who then repeat those patterns. In the beginning, the guy or the, the woman, depending on how your, you know, your preferences are, looks nothing like that experience. And then six months to a year in, they do the exact same thing uh, you grew up with. And so one of the ways to look at it is that that's how we know love. So we choose that as love. But that, of course, is only a small piece of us, which is the kind of sub-personality of small child. Then as we grow up, we want other things. But somehow, this is what we know. So that's what she's talking about, right? And then you were saying, can you remove that imprint? The answer, unfortunately, is no. <laughs> but that doesn't mean uh, that you're, uh, you know, having to live with that for your entire life. But you have to kind of humorously know that the person you are going to be most attracted to will have at least an echo of that particular behavior. Right? But the, there's something really, really interesting that they found out when they looked at long-term relationships in um, marriages that had been arranged and in marriages that had been chosen. And so in marriages that had been chosen, those kind of childhood patternings showed up within the first year, year and a half, because the two people found each other and then they kind of play and fulfill each other's childhood imprinting. But when you're kind of made to marry someone, which still exists, unfortunately, but it does, right? And people do stay together. It takes about 10 years till they've trained each other to fulfill those imprints. So the getting to love someone or, or, or you know, you've, you learn to love someone often means that you imprint them with the imprint that you want. So you behave in ways that um, give you the thing that you expect, which is kind of crazy. But it's also kind of humorous when you know it. So, and, and what I mean with humorous is you can kind of expect when a certain thing pops up again, this is true not only for childhood imprints, but also previous relational imprints. When you have a sentence that says something like, well, here we go again, everyone gets to do the thing they want to do, and I need to pick up the slack, or whatever, you know, whatever your particular complaint is, you can kind of assume that that's your thing. Because it happens again and again and again with different people. Right, so it can only be your thing, really. And then what you do is you preempt your own behavior. So you can look at how it happens that that always happens. Right? You can also date completely outside of your preference. That's another option, but nobody ever wants to do that. <laughs> Yes, that's what I mean. You feel the sexual attraction to whom you feel the sexual attraction. And that means that spark and that excitement isn't going to be there with someone who is actually good for you in that domain. I know. <laughs> but but that's, that, that's just what human beings are about. And you could choose to go, okay, 
this person is really, really good for me. Everybody says so. I can see it. I have zero sexual attraction, right? So, well, I'll do it anyway. No one ever says that, right? Not really. So you have to just know that the spark and the excitement and the attraction comes from a cocktail of previous imprints, no pun intended here. So, you know, it's kind of a, it, it, it's a conglomerate of the things you know that really excite you. And those things that really excite you make you sexually attracted to someone. It's not a problem, you just have to know that when the complaint shows up, you have to tweak yourself slightly to not elicit that, right? That's, that's the key factor here because you can't change people. We have all tried and failed, but you can not fall into your own trap. And that's very doable with not that much, um, you know, it's not that hard work to go, okay, here we go again. How did I end up here? Okay, and then you track it back and you can see your side of that particular behavior. And often when you change your side of that particular behavior, the entire thing falls apart. And that's very doable. Yeah, so. But you have to be on to yourself. Which <laughs> is not always fun. <laughs> it's much easier to go, well, this person's really not behaving the way I want them to behave. Not, and, and that's not to say that certain people shouldn't be left or are not good for us. But if it's a repeating thing over and over and over and over, it's probably easier to just deal with it on your end. <laughs> Thank you. So the question was, I'm just going to repeat this in case you didn't hear it. Um, I was talking about energy leaks and, you, and she was asking, how do you spot them and when, what you do about that? So. The easiest way to spot them is to be aware of when you are lacking energy. So it's fairly easy when it comes to other people. So let's just say um, you go to Sunday dinner at your, I don't know, cousins, right? And yeah, or whatever, you're, you're some friends, right? You go to Sunday dinner at some friends um, and you have a wonderful time and it's this really stimulating afternoon you come home and even though you ate and you drank and you were you know you took a long ride there and back you're totally energized that's pretty apparent then right but if you come back and you are just absolutely wiped out then that's something to pay attention to now one time is not enough for you know any kind of data so you track it over time if any time you go there, or every time you go there, you come back wiped out, then there's clearly an energy leak. So then you have to look, is it going for two hours on the train that causes the lack of energy? Or is it people that you're spending time with? Right? And then you, can, then you can go, well, I think it's the train. So then you'll invite them over. You're still drained. Well, then you're pretty sure it's the people, right? So, and that happens, some people just drain your energy. And um, we all have at least one girlfriend who essentially comes, complains, takes, 
drains you totally dry and then leaves. But if God willing, you ever have anything going on, they don't have time, right? We all have had at least one of those friends. And that's something that you have to consider. Is that something, are you, do you have enough energy to give of your energy consistently from someone who doesn't also, at least on occasion, give back? If you're super rested and resourced and resourceful and nourished, sure, why not? But if you are already running on empty, then maybe not, right? Same in a relationship. If you, um, let's say, date someone and you notice that every time you see them before then, you're already having this subtle uh, kind of a feeling, right? But you think you should do it anyway, or there's so much good about this person, and you go and then you're drained afterwards. Those are signs, right? And over time, you have to identify, do people energize you or are they draining you? And that's a really, really important set of circumstances to consider. With activities, it's similar. Now, there are certain activities we have to do, like go to work, make a living, you know, those kind of things. And they're sometimes draining. Um, and then you have to look at, are they draining you commensurate with, let's say, the, the positive aspect of the income coming in, right? So if you get paid well, but you're drained at the end of the day, you at least know why you're doing it. But if you don't get paid well, and you're drained at the end of the day, then that's an unsustainable work situation, right? Because no amount of money will um, give you back your energy for your life. There is some amounts of money that will do that, but then you wouldn't feel so drained, right? And um, this is one way to determine it, right? When you have to go, well, how much money would I have to make for me not to feel as bad as I do when I come back home? And then that's how much money you have to ask for. And if you can't get that, then that's food for thought, right? So, so there's situations where you have to be aware if there's a commensurate exchange, like in business, and then there's situations that are personal activities, let's say. That like, let's say if you go to yoga class every Sunday morning and you come back and you're really, really happy for the rest of the day, you know, that's good. If you go to yoga class and then the rest of the day you feel shit about yourself and your body and your energy levels and, uh, and you should do it more often because you're not really feeling that good afterwards, uh, then that's maybe something to consider not doing but finding something that gives you that enjoyment. So those are a few things around energy leaks that are easy to determine. And it sometimes takes a bit of mindfulness and also courage to plug those leaks because they're often uh, connected in with some of our not so good habit patterns. You know, the martyr or a person who doesn't think that they're good enough to ask for more money or the person who doesn't want to leave the boyfriend because will, will there ever be another one or things like that often has to do with scarcity and lack of knowledge of ourselves or confidence. So the, the energy leaks are the markers of certain areas where you can start working on things. Yes. 
definitely. Lots of people um, waste energy that they don't have, right? So if you have a free hour, let's say, that, that is totally yours, you could spend the entire hour uh, scrolling through Instagram, and we've all done it, right? Or YouTube or whatever your drug of choice is, right? You could also uh, spend an entire hour moving your body in ways that give you incredible enjoyment. Um, or pet your dog, or sit with a friend and talk. So you could certainly look at, um, once again, are you feeling drained after the activity, or are you feeling nourished after the activity? And if it's a feeling of drain and waste, then it's certainly something you can streamline. And I sometimes have people who you know, have to deal with this, uh, keep a log of what they do within a day. You know, somebody was saying they were a lawyer. Where was the lawyer? I saw her somewhere over there. So as a lawyer, you know that, right? When you're a lawyer, you have to keep every minute that you spend on a client because you have to bill it, which always amazes me, right? How the hell do you do that? So there must be software, right? Yeah, so, so you want to get that kind of software, right? Something of that nature where you actually track for a few days in a typical week how you spend your time. And it is a huge eye-opener when you actually log your activity. Yeah? And I certainly have received lawyer's bills where I was like, what? Six emails? 18 minutes each? And it's like... Whoa, right? So, so it, you don't notice it till you log it, right? And so it's really, really uh, good if you log it um, and really, you know, for a day, have a little notepad or an app or whatever and look at how do you spend your time? And then you can optimize time, right? If you commute a certain amount of time, can you maybe listen to something that nourishes you? versus, you know, random stuff that upsets you, um, and so on, and so on, and so on. And then you can really, really hone in on energy consumption, so to speak. There is two things we have that are the same commodities for everyone. Time and electrical output on the brain, right? So we all have 24 hours in the day, and that's the great equalizer. It doesn't matter how much money you have or whatever, right? Or your health or whatever. You have 24 hours in a day and you emit about 44 megahertz a second from the cortex of the brain. And that's the same in every human. Humans don't get an upgrade of RAM, right? You can't put another chip in there, which means you have so much energy available per second and how you use that energy in your body, you can determine. There's a certain amount that goes up for body function and thinking and the rest you can put somewhere. High performance sport, high performance work, scrolling through YouTube, right? So it's always the same output on the brain while you're awake, when you fall asleep, you know, certain other things happen. This is not an exact number, right? This is, I think it's, it's a, it's a, you know, plus minus a few points. But that's what you have. And so you can manage energy and you can manage time. 
And um, when you know how to do that, you can get a lot more on one end efficient and on the other end, a lot, you can have a lot more fun. Oh God, this is, it's a very good question and it's very, very detailed, right? Um, and I have to give you a somewhat general answer because I don't want to go too deep into certain things that are personal, right? But what you're describing is fairly common. And what I mean by that is intimacy, and I'm not necessarily only talking sexual intimacy, but the opening ourselves up to someone to that depth requires an enormous amount of fortitude. Right? It's much easier to have sex, like you said, with somebody who's not available. Um, they kind of live out your particular um, you know, imprint for you. Um, you are the committed one. They are not. Right? You are there. They are not. And so you can be kind of, um, you can be the more open one based on their refusal to open further. Right? And so then that works really great. But when the other person is very open, then that would have to call forth your entire openness for the sexual interaction. And that's extremely scary under the best of circumstances. Now, if you've had any, um, let's say, uh, relational or sexual trauma in your past, then with every time something happens that reinforces that it's not safe to open, it gets worse and worse and worse, right? So with the bad boy, and this is why women love bad boys, you can open because there's no danger of that being actually met. So you, you know, so it's kind of an artificial openness on your end. When it's actually met by someone you love very deeply, the risk is humongous, right? So that said, what you're experiencing is not um, very bizarre or out of the question or horrible, right? This is human, human things. Now, the somewhat unfortunate piece is that for most of us, that's how it plays out in our relationship because the premise of the, um, of the attraction is that there is one of each kind. Right? So often you hear it in the tantric circles described as there's a masculine and the feminine, but that's way too simple because it's, that's the, there's a leader and a follower. There is an open one and a closed one. There is a steady one and one that's all over the place. You know, it's, it's not as simple as masculine and feminine. There's like sub layers of all kinds and some of it is emotional and not mechanical and stuff like that. But the fact that you are together and that it's basically working is based on the fact that there's two, you're not the same. There's two different aspects to the partnership. And in this particular partnership, you are acting out the more confined, closed one, and he's acting out the more open to combine with you one. And that's an interesting thing because if he would actually withdraw, it would polarize you into openness. Right. And, but because he isn't doing that, probably, because he's probably not a game player, uh, and also you're married and, you know, he's in. That this is the nice thing about men. When they're in, they're in. Right. Um, they're not going, well, I was in, but now I'm out. Right. And the men who are that, um, 
you know, are very, you don't have children with them, ideally, or if you had children with them, you can't stay with them because you can trust them. So the very thing that makes him actually trustworthy also turns you off sexually, right? Because he's there, <laughs> you know? So there is none of that drama of the, of the thing. And so for whatever reason, now you have a flinch, right? And that really, I don't know how to say this. The really delicate thing here is that you, of course, should never force yourself um, to go against your body, right? How, well, lots of people do, and you hear people, even therapists, give advice to women that says, well, you know, just suck it up and do it. You'll get into it, right? Or, you know, how is the relationship going to work if you are frigid? Of course it makes it worse and worse and worse because now you are brutalizing yourself. No one else is doing it, right? So it backfires in the long run. So you shouldn't force yourself to do things you don't want to do. But what you can do is explore um, staying a bit more in the area where you have the flinch, but before you compromise yourself. Right, so we have to identify that. So let's just say, let's just say he touches you and you know that means he wants to have sex and you don't want to have sex, right? So that ends the thing. So you can no longer separate the touch from the sexual act that you don't want. So the first step, for instance, would be to separate the touch from the sex. And so how you would do that is you would initiate the touch, but within, this, within the context of saying, let's just connect, right? And make it very clear that this is a very specific set of circumstances that doesn't necessarily lead to another and lead to another. And then see that within, if you can, within that very specific parameter, relax and find the aspect of this man that you actually want to open to. And, and then go, oh yeah, that's just because I don't want to go deeper with him because it's scary, right? Or you find out you don't want to go deeper with him because you just don't want to and it's over in that way. Well, that then gives you the next step of considerations, right, which can happen, but often people find that if they can slice it so thin that they can, like, you know, expose themselves to the intimacy bit by bit by bit, then it actually becomes a lot deeper, a lot deeper because you actually are with it. You're not overriding your warning, tree, but you're with it and you're going, this is fine. I can actually be with him. I don't want to go any further. But when I feel this, I actually am closer to him. Right? Or, like I said, you get the clear information that says it's just not there anymore, which is also possible. And sometimes that happens. And then when that's determined for sure, you can make arrangements accordingly. Right? But then it's at least clear, but you don't know that until you 
kind of slice it so fine you can tell where your boundaries actually are or where you're just refusing to engage for real with this person. No. And so one way into that is to, in, within yourself, find the part of your husband, husband or partner, husband I'm assuming, yeah, that you truly, truly love. And not from a place of martyrdom, but from a place of generosity, give to that part in the slice that you say that you can do. I wouldn't start with sex ever. I'd start with simple touch. Right? Like, for instance, sitting on the sofa together and massaging his feet. Right? And, and just seeing what that feels like when you give to him from a place of um, offering, right? generosity, because why not? Right? And then if that's possible, then you have a chance to explore it. If everything in you goes, nah, right? then that's a con different conversation. Yeah. But you can make yourself wrong for the impulse, but you want to explore that impulse very thoroughly and not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Uh, because just because you feel that Ugh, doesn't necessarily mean that's all there is to it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> but it's not easy. Yeah. And, but it's definitely worthwhile to give it a good shot before you give up. Because it's much, much, much harder to find someone with whom you have a basically good relationship than to find someone you know, with whom you have great sex. You can have great sex with anyone for six months. You know, oh, it's actually mostly such that we have the best sex with people that we actually don't like, right? That's kind of the, that's polarity, that's actual polarity. The more someone is opposite of you and strange from you, the hotter it is. So, yeah, you can have that, but can you have the long-term depth of engagement and love and understanding and um, collaboration? That's much, much harder to do. And um, creating a spark is the easy part if you choose to do it again. No. The other thing is a bit harder. No. So. Her question is, can a woman have intimacy with multiple partners, in her case, men? That's the question, at the same time, I should say. Um, well, can you? Yes? Well, then that's the answer for you, right? <laughs> you want to explore it as in what are the pros and cons? Ah, okay. So she's saying, is it a cop-out or is it really possible to have multiple men? And is she missing something or might she be missing something down the line? Well, <laughs> I think it depends completely on your set of circumstances, right? I don't think there's any general rule about this at all, because at different moments in life, different things are needed, right? And so can we? Yes, we can. I think that's entirely possible. Um, but when you have multiple partners, this is true 
both with men and women, but in women it has different implications. When you have multiple partners, you are um, enjoying variety. Your, your play or your game is variety. It's new experiences. It's um, different versions of male, right? And every man gives you a different variety. Different shapes, different sizes, different tastes, different expressions, different kind of dates, right? So that's a very specific um, engagement that's horizontal. And sometimes horizontal exploration, meaning men one, you know, here, men two, men three, men four, men five, whatever, right? And uh, you get to enjoy that, and it's very um, exciting and flavorful. When you um, have sexual intimacy with one partner who is capable of this, this is the very important piece here, then it becomes kind of a vertical exploration. So you go, you have only one person and you go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, right? So that it's just a different exploration. And often when this happens, this goes away meaning you're not doing all these different things. You're doing one thing and you kind of layer like the engagement and you, you open more and more and more and it gets riskier and riskier and riskier to open that much. So at sometimes in our lives we want this and then sometimes in our lives we want this. And typically what happens when we have multiple partners with multiple engagements is you find the one person, that's not always true, but typically you find the one person who can do this, and that's then the one that gets left uh, in the game, so to speak. So, but the important piece here to consider is that not everyone wants to do this, and not every man is capable of doing this. So, sometimes it might be much more fulfilling to do this, and um, play out certain things that you want to experience and play out certain experiences for your own personal enjoyment and the enjoyment of the people you're with till you actually find and want this. However, this is, this is something else to consider. This is not the gospel by any means, right? This is an individual uh, thing that you have to uh, find for yourself. Sometimes it's not possible to get this when you have this going on because the kind of men, and they're very rare, so there's no guarantee that you'll find one to begin with, right? But the kind of men who can bring that much depth to a sexual engagement and is both willing and capable to do that isn't going to uh, compete with this kind of man. Right? So it's a little bit like um, you are taken, you know, you're like on the carousel of the, uh, the, the shiny fun man, right? And that carousel is going around and around and around, and the man who wants to kind of go deep into one thing isn't on that carousel, right? And isn't going to pluck you off the carousel, right? You have to kind of stand on the side of the carousel and see if... if you know, if he's there, so to speak. And that's a question. Is there such a man? Do you want such a man? 
and then where would you find such a man? And if you had that kind of man, would you really actually want to go down that road, which is not an entirely pleasant road all the way, because it means um, a very strong focus on that one area of life, which is not for everyone. So that said, I think it's totally possible to have the, uh, you know, the, the, the variety um, exploration and be very fulfilled. And it's also possible to have the depth exploration and be very fulfilled. And can you have the depth and the variety? With a lot of capacity you could, but it's not that easy to go deep with four or five different men, except if this is your full-time job. <laughs> you know, where you devote your entire existence to that endeavor. But other than that, there's just, there's timing issues, right? <laughs> and, and all kinds of other issues, um, because that kind of depth requires time and intensity and focus and attention and, and you know, it, there's only so many hours in a day. For the woman's part of that, the exploration of the going deeper, it has a few um, aspects to it. One of which is that your own body has to be open and available enough to even go there. Right? Because depth of exploration requires, it's like a high performance sport in a certain way, right? Meaning um, you can't run a marathon unless you have practiced. So you, you have to be able to run a psychosexual marathon. That's, that's what creates the depth, right? So how you do that is you continuously work with your body on being, your body being available on one end, right? The other thing is um, you have to be pretty clear on what it is that you want in that relationship and not get sidetracked, right? A lot of people get sidetracked in relationship. They, they think they want one thing and then they do something totally different. And so there's a certain kind of discipline of staying on course of the relationship. And then the third aspect has to do with um, keeping that kind of play alive, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah. That's a long and involved subject that we will have to broach another day because somebody here was saying they're post and well, who was that? Who was? Yeah. And, 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 you know, dealing with the repercussions of that. And then there were some people perimenopausal and everything. I think that's a bit more than I can handle in no time, but we will get there. And it's certainly a big deal, right? Big deal. So um, it deserves more than my two-minute uh, menopause sucks and then we die. <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't, it, it, it sucks, right? And it absolutely sucks. And there's nothing that you can do about it except that, of course, any time you come to an impasse, there's always an opening behind it. So, you know, but, but it's not like you can't whitewash away massive changes to your body. Um, you have to kind of dive into that as something that isn't entirely pleasant under any circumstances. Anybody who just goes, oh yeah, it's great, right? You always have to question that. 
but it's also not all it sucks. It's just, it's an honest reappraisal of what happens. And for women, it is, you know, when our looks go and our fertility goes and everything that we have as mainstays in our lives, it's very, very difficult. And that's, a, it's a rite of passage of a very specific way that has to be tended to very, very carefully. And unfortunately, there isn't a lot of role modeling around that, right? You don't, we are pretty much the first people who get to speak about these things openly, right? And it's never been talked about openly. And um, I asked somebody the other day, oh yeah, I asked a woman who was a mentor of mine in university, um, who lives here in London, and I said, so how did you deal with menopause? And she says, my dear, there's gin and tonic. <laughs> Not particularly useful, unless I want to start heavy drinking in the future, right? But we're the first people who have to actually look at that, and we are, but it's not easy.